All right, would you all stand with me for a minute? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for our opportunity to come together through everything that's trying to keep us out of here this week, to keep us from from being here in oneness, receiving from you what it is that you have for us today. So Holy Spirit, open our ears and prepare our hearts to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You can have a seat. Sit down. All right. You'll have to forgive my sporadic coughing. Thank you. All right, we're uh, continuing to look at the seven spirits of God. Uh, This week, focusing on the spirit of knowledge. And um, next week being Christmas Eve, we will um, have a different message and we will finish up with... uh, the last of the seven spirits of God and the foundations series on New Year's Eve uh, in two weeks. <clears throat> so then you won't have to hear me do a recap anymore after that. All right. Speaking of, let's recap the foundation series. Started off with cornerstone, right? Jesus is the chief cornerstone, starting place for everything. What has he placed in your hands? Anybody, what has he placed in your hands? Good, the everlasting kingdom. Glad you're all here. Camp life. That was all about the wilderness. We focused on the rebellions out of the book of Numbers. We looked at how those can hold up a mirror to us as, uh, um, as being able to look at our rebellions. And, and ultimately coming to see that uh, it's imperative for us to remember what God has done for us and who he has shown up for us as, as well as really staying focused on the, the mission he's given us and being reliant on him for everything, which is a, a big key in that uh, in camp life. There was a reliance that was required every single day by the people on God to survive. They needed food, they needed water, and he provided every day. Next was the tabernacle. You know, God wanted to dwell and be with his people, and so he made a way for that to be a reality. And that was just the beginning because through Jesus, uh, God made a way for us to become that dwelling place, for us to become the tabernacle for his spirit. So through belief in Jesus, we become the tabernacle. Following that was the priestly anointing. Christ's priesthood, they created a new class of royal priests. Uh, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament was called a royal priesthood. And now the title of royal priesthood is reapplied to the church, which means it's reapplied to each of us. Uh, there was servant and son. We looked at the servant of the Lord, Jesus. We, we looked at how he showed up to serve not to be served, and did so as a son. And and we looked at how his act of service allowed us to be brought into the family and into sonship, which is really important. That means that no matter what the mission is that God has given us and what he's called us to, we are there to serve, and we are doing so as sons of the Most High God. Following that, we looked at the altar and offering to be able to understand what Jesus did for us as the ultimate and final offering that atoned for our sins and and made way for us to to enter into the presence of God without fear, which is uh, something new that was introduced through Jesus, being able to have access to the Holy of Holies, have access to God at all times. We know before that it required a high priest, once a year to offer sacrifice for himself before going in to offer sacrifice on behalf of the people. Once a year, he could enter into the Holy of Holies. Now, through Christ's sacrifice, we have access 24-7, right? Anytime we want, we just have to actually use it. Next was all about praise, and to do so, 
we have to be after the heart of God. David, he was, it was called one who is after God's own heart. And, and that's the mark of those uh, who make their life the life of praise. And, and the questions that Angie offered up uh, are, are questions we need to continually be looking at. What choice will I make in the middle of opposition? Am I going to praise or am I going to shrink back? We're all going to face opposition in our Christian walk. We're not going to sugarcoat it. That that's a thing that happens. We all face opposition. There's always something that is wanting to come up against us to keep us from doing the simple things like praying, reading scripture, communing with one another, sharing oneness. There's there's always going to be opposition to that. What are we going to do in the face of that opposition? Are we going to praise? We're going to shrink back. Yes. Excuse me. Uh, Other questions. uh, What am I doing with my praise? Where am I placing worth? We're we're always worshiping. We're always praising something. What is that you're placing worth on in so doing? Those are powerful questions. We have to to continually be asking ourselves every day. And then was worship and, and looking at how we must exalt God to the point where we become small, meaning that next to... The, the fullness and holiness of God, we are, are going to feel small, and, and we should. And we look closely at the question, can you measure the standard of worship by feeling God? I think this is another important question that we have to remind ourselves in worship. Whatever the expression is, and we just went through a, a discussion about all the varied expressions of worship uh, from what we traditionally know, and with it being music and singing, to any other creative expression that God has placed in you to carry, whatever that is. Can you measure that standard of worship by feeling God? So in that expression, in that creative expression, can you measure the effectiveness of that? Can you measure the standard of that by the goosebumps that you feel, by the warm, fuzzy feeling you get? No, you can't. Because worship isn't about us. We can't base our level of worship by feeling God. If we do so, it's just going to let us down. It's just going to let us down every time. It's not about you. It's all about God. We have to remember that. Worship is a sacrifice. And we know that a sacrifice in the Old Testament was about the burning of flesh. It was about a sacrificial animal that was brought. And that was an act of worship. That was worship in the Old Testament, was the sacrifice. And so we know that's not going to feel good because we're, we're applying that same idea of being a living sacrifice, a continual sacrifice, placing ourselves in the altar as an act of worship. And that's not always going to feel good. So we can't measure the standard of worship by how we feel uh, uh, or whether or not we're feeling God. Because sometimes our feelings will lie to us. Angie brought up some more tremendous and challenging questions. Uh, so those, uh, is my source of what Jesus is doing coming from today or the past? Are we living in old wineskins or are we stepping into the new thing that God is bringing us into and, and showing us and putting before us? Another great question. Am I up for great sacrifice? Am I up to be a continually living sacrifice? We've got to be honest with ourselves. If you're not up for it, you're not up for it. If you are, just understand the level of opposition you're going to face is going to increase. It will increase when you determine to be a continual living sacrifice. When you determine to be a disciple of Christ, the opposition that you face is going to increase. And I don't say that to scare anybody. I just say that to be honest. Because in that opposition it becomes even more important to make sure that oneness is a priority for us because it's the strength of one another that helps us get through that. Sometimes we have blind spots that we can't see when we're faced with opposition and the people that we share life with can help shine light there into those blind spots. Another one of the... uh, <clears throat> excuse me, another question from that was, God wants a pure and spotless sacrifice. 
Am I going to give him what he's worthy of? Again, this comes back to, in my life, am I going to give God what he's worthy of? Am I going to be that, that living sacrifice? Am I going to show up in the fullness of what it is that he's given me to carry every single day, in every single moment? Even in weakness, am I going to show up? Am I going to give him what he's worthy of? We know that he's worthy of it all. Jesus sacrificed everything on our behalf. He is the one who's worthy of our worship, of our praise, of, of us being a continual living sacrifice. He's the one who's worthy of that. So are we going to give him what he's worthy of? Next was about prayer. One of the things that we need to remember in this is that the basis of a person's approach, the basis of our approach to God in prayer isn't just our search for God. It's God's gracious initiative, the establishing of covenant with us through Jesus and the promise of help and deliverance on the basis of that covenant. That's our approach. And in addition, prayer cannot always be about self. Over and over again, we can listen to Jesus and his prayers and talking about oneness, talking about union, and talking about how that's what he shared with the Father. And, and he wanted and had a desire for us to have that same oneness with each other, have that same oneness with, with Holy Spirit, that, that same union. That's what his desire was. And so that was what his prayer was. So it's... It, Prayer needs to be selfless and not selfish. Even in petitioning on your own behalf or the things that, that you're needing to see God move in your life, there is a purpose beyond yourself there. Because in that petition, it, if, you are, if you are gaining something that makes you a better person, how does that carry into oneness? I think that's something we, we often will forget. And so prayer needs to be selfless and not selfish. We're one body. You know, we're the bride of Christ, the church. And so it's time we start praying like it. If we want to, if we want to see the power of prayer, we need to put ourselves on the altar and, and petition for the sake of oneness. Then we moved into where we're at now, into the seven spirits of God, Isaiah 11, 2. And, the, and first we looked at the spirit of the Lord, and we looked at how the spirit of the Lord resting upon uh, the messianic figure described in Isaiah 11, 2, the, the shoot of the stump of Jesse. We saw that that resting was permanent, which was something new, that was being declared during this time because this Old Testament time, this wasn't normal for the Spirit of God to rest permanently on somebody. The Spirit of God would come be on somebody for a time, whether it didn't matter how long, whatever the task was that uh, God's Spirit needed to be on that person for, they were it, the Spirit was on him for that amount of time and, and then would lift off. And so it wasn't a permanent thing. So this was something new that we were, we were seeing and, and witnessing here. And we looked at the, the original Hebrew and how this described a permanent resting, not just resting and lifting off. We also looked at Jesus quoting Isaiah 61 uh, when he was reading the scroll. This, was, this story was uh, described in Luke 4. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he read that out of the scroll of Isaiah, handed the scroll back to the attendant and sat down and said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It's an incredible statement to be able to pick up a scroll in the synagogue, read of it and say, this is 
this is fulfilled today. You're hearing this right now. This is being fulfilled. You're seeing it right now. He claimed to uh, came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that favor is extended over us. That's good news. He came to set us free from all the things that would keep us from him. All the things that keep would keep us from relationship with God, from being able to exercise that access, that all access pass that we have to being able to use that. He came to set us free from all that. There's no separation between us and God, no sense of distance. Uh, we should be able to come to the Father at any time. This is a theme you should be starting to see. Anytime we should be able to come to God without worry. That's part of the freedom that we have to grab hold of. There was the spirit of wisdom. And wisdom being the general capacity to have right judgment in all things. Wisdom comes from life experience and reflection. We looked at how purely human wisdom has really no ultimate merits on its own. Isaiah 29, 14 says, Therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people, with wonder upon wonder, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. You can see that that our human wisdom, it doesn't merit anything next to God's. Wisdom of God is also being revealed to the world through the life and ministry of the church through us. Ephesians 3.10 says, So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Since wisdom is rooted and grounded in God, true spiritual wisdom, it's God's gift to us. It is a gift to us from God to be able to access his wisdom, his spiritual wisdom. Following that was the spirit of understanding. And understanding is the God-given perception of the nature and meaning of things, <coughs> Excuse me, resulting in sound judgment and decision-making, in particular the ability to discern spiritual truth and to apply it to human disposition and conduct. So understanding is going to allow us to, to see beyond the wise decisions, right? We, we talked through uh, that gathering of data and how when we put all that together, we start to get bits of information. And we can take all these bits of information and start putting those together to get a sense of, of, of knowledge. Then we can take that bit of knowledge and start to get wisdom when we put all that together. Then we can make wise decisions. And understanding allows us to see beyond that. We looked at a lot of scripture that week, uh, showing that understanding involves the, the, the cognitive, the spiritual, and the moral. And, and that our human efforts are, are, are called for in, in some part. However, uh, the ability to understand really comes from God. And that final test of understanding is obedience to God. That's that final test of understanding. Then we looked at the spirit of counsel and the spirit of counsel going to be there uh, is going to be there to help us make plans. It's laying out uh, purposes and, and aiding in decision making uh, through helping you really think about any course of action that you might be considering. The counselor or the spirit of truth who teaches and reminds us as believers regarding the things of Jesus. This is, this is another point that we can come back to continually over and over again and see as a pattern that everything is pointing us back to Jesus. Holy Spirit uh, is the counselor, he's the comforter, and excuse me, he does not leave us desolate, but he is there representing Jesus to us over and over again every day. So to experience the counselor, to experience Holy Spirit, is to experience Jesus. And last week was the spirit of might. And, and we looked at some different definitions of the spirit of might. And, and we put all of that together, getting a, a 
picture of the full weight of the spirit of might ascribed to Jesus in Isaiah 11 too, and ultimately to believers who are indwelt by Holy Spirit. We can't forget that physical strength was talking about being combined with inner strength, right? That, that would give us courage. We, we talked about Samson briefly. And as you recall, he was a, a giant in physical strength, but he was weak-willed when it came to women. And this, in looking at his life, this was a, a physical strength that was divorced from inner strength. There was a separation there between the two. And uh, we know that external strength, it, it has to be coupled with the even more powerful inner strength. When we read Matthew 26, 36 through 46, we, we read that uh, last week and we discovered uh, this is the inner strength that allows us to endure. The inner strength to keep going uh, when we know that our physical strength isn't going to be enough. While the words power and might, because we, we looked at, at the word power, how that was uh, more fitting than, than the word might, uh, it, it brings to mind feats of physical strength, again, through individuals or even an army. That, that's one of the first things we think about when we think about might, is that physical strength. But we can't lose sight of, of the inner power that lays uh, claim and says uh, just what Jesus did in the garden. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So in the face of sorrow, even to death, that's how Jesus was described in this moment, was in sorrow, even to death, we could let that same declaration be ours. Not as I will, but as you will, God. That is that inner strength that's more powerful than, than the external strength. All right, so today, it's all about the spirit of knowledge. And the, the Bible speaks often about human knowledge. Uh, the knowledge of God, however, it's, it's the greatest knowledge that we have. And is the chief duty of mankind. And we know Proverbs 9:10, we've talked about this before. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So knowledge of God is the greatest knowledge. And Hosea 6:6 6, 6 says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So that's our chief duty. Knowledge of God is the chief duty of mankind. But our human knowledge, we know, uh, like anything that we try to do in a, of ourselves, it, it falls short when it's separated from God. When, it's, when our human knowledge is separated from God's knowledge or the spirit of knowledge, it's going to fall short. So I want us to be able to leave here today with, with a grasp of the spirit of knowledge working in our lives. And really what I want you to see is the connection between knowledge and relationship. This is going to be a key that somewhat turns how we view knowledge kind of in a different direction. Knowledge, you know, so far as it has a, a theological use, is relational rather than intellectual. We can assume that a knowledge of God is possible, but this is, is really a result of a revelation of himself by God. So revelation of himself by himself and, and not any speculative, speculative knowledge uh, achieved by us. So knowledge becomes practically equivalent here to religion. And then if you're looking at the opposite of knowledge, ignorance, that would be the opposite of religion irreligion, right? So uh, how do we get to this connection of revelation of God by God and relationship with him through Jesus that, that brings about knowledge? How do we get there? Or, or how do we get to the revelation to us, <clears throat> excuse me, of the spirit of knowledge and how he works in our lives? So we're going to start with uh, some definition of knowledge like we typically would 
uh, we'll look at uh, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, and, and use that to give us a better understanding in English. So the Hebrew word is da'at, and in that there's, you know, like any dictionary, when you look up words, this one's no different, and there's a bunch of different definitions, but the one I want to focus on uh, is knowledge is uh, information of a person with a strong implication of relationship to that person. The Greek word is gnosis. This one follows a little bit more closely to what we would understand today as knowledge. It says the psychological result of perception and learning and reasoning, sometimes simply endowed by God, often with focus on application of the knowledge. So using that knowledge that you have. The Aramaic word is yada. And again, a lot of different definitions. Um, the, the best one I found is, is come, come to understand uh, recognize implying personal knowledge. Also having knowledge with the focus on the information given or received. Pretty basic there. But all three languages emphasize a deeper understanding uh, just beyond simply acquiring information. So, so how can we take that and take what is offered in, in these different languages to, to help us have a better understanding in English? Well, the Hebrew implies a, a deep, intimate understanding of God's character. The, this knowledge, it's not merely intellectual, but transformative. And, I, and that's a key thing there. It's transformative, and it's leading to uh, righteous living and obedience. That's where, that's where it's taking us. In the Greek, it's, it's hinting at, and it, it really is just hinting at it, but it's hinting at a direct experiential knowledge of God through Holy Spirit. And this knowledge is, it, it transcends, it, it goes beyond mere information and, and it really fosters a personal relationship with God. This is how we're making that, that jump from, from knowledge to relationship and, and seeing how they're connecting. The Aramaic it is an interesting one. So the definition I read to you is is just a very short description. Uh, when you when you look at how that word is defined, it's very long and very nuanced. But the Aramaic definition it really emphasizes uh, alignment with the practical application of God's knowledge in in really shaping things like social justice and righteous governance. Uh, the, this wisdom, it, it guides in, in making ethical decisions and really building a just society. Isaiah 11.2, it describes the spirit of the Lord resting on the Messiah, encompassing the spirit of knowledge alongside other attributes like wisdom and understanding. And, and this suggests uh, a divinely granted ability to discern God's truth, apply it in, in practical ways and, and lead people towards justice and righteousness. And the verse also mentions the fear of the Lord alongside knowledge. And we, we know this fear isn't about terror, uh, but about reverence and awe. It recognizes God's power and authority. And, and it serves as a guiding principle for, for applying knowledge wisely and humbly. So combining the insights uh, you could define the spirit of knowledge from Isaiah eleven two as a divinely granted transformative understanding of God's character, will, and justice accompanied by the wisdom to apply it in practical ways for the benefit of oneself and society, guided by a reverent fear of the Lord and received through relationship with Jesus. That's a mouthful. It's a long definition, but it starts to help us understand the, the nuance in English, be able to combine all of these things together so we have a better and fuller picture. So knowledge goes beyond mere intellectual acquisition, right? We can all agree on that, I think. 
it, it goes beyond gathering information and, and facts to just fill your brain, to fill up your mind. It's a spiritual gift that fosters a deep relationship with God. It's inspiring. It inspires righteous living. It guides us towards uh, building a just and harmonious world. So in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they know God through what he does for them. In Deuteronomy 30, or excuse me, Deuteronomy 4, if you want to turn there, we're going to read a section of that. Deuteronomy 4. This is going to show how the Israelites know God through what he does for them. It's about remembering. We're going to start in verse 32. It says, For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might discipline you, and on earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence, by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it in your heart that the Lord is God in heaven, above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Incredible. Remembering what God has done for you, it allows you to know him in a deeper way. This was drawing Israel into that deeper relationship. It allows you to see his hand in your life, to, to really see him beckoning you into intimate relationship. And this is a drawing of us that, that demands a response. Will you know me or not? That's the question from God. Will you know me or not? This knowledge of God, it's not simply uh, theoretical. It's not simply factual knowledge. It includes experiencing the reality of God in your life. There's an experience that, that comes with, with this with this life, knowing God. This knowledge includes uh, living your life in a manner that shows respect for the power and majesty of God. Jeremiah twenty-two fifteen and 16 says, Do you think you are a king because you compete in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Is it not this? Is not this to know me? Declares the Lord. Is this not to know me? The experiences. Showing uh, respect for the power and majesty of God. Scripture is careful, really, to distinguish the, the knowledge possessed by God from that uh, knowledge that, that we possess. In particular, God knows his chosen people. He, he knows them very well. He knows what's in their heart. Uh, he knows uh, them so well. Uh, and he was bound to them in covenant. But his, his awareness of their rebellion and idolatry, uh, despite promises to the contrary, which you can read about in Joshua 24 and 
if you want to hear a breakdown of that, um, go listen to Angie's broadcast from Friday. There was, <coughs> excuse me, promises made to stay away from idolatry, to, to stay loyal to God and not be rebellious. But his awareness of, of the things that they were doing, despite, despite their, their declarations and promises uh, that they wouldn't, it prompts him to, to show his continuing love for us. It, it prompted him then to show his continuing love to them uh, by sending prophets uh, to warn them of punishment that was coming, that awaited them if they continued in idolatry. And he gave them ample opportunity to, to repent and return to him in obedience and faith. Amos 3.2 says, you, on, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. It was God here saying, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. That's a pretty intimate thing. That's a deep relationship that he's talking about and describing there. But he also knew of what it is that they were doing. So we can also look at human knowledge as, <coughs> excuse me, as a big thing in the Old Testament as well. Uh, mankind is warned not to look for glory or to glory in, in wisdom or might or riches, uh, but really in the privilege of knowing God. Jeremiah 9.23 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. We're not to boast or, or to look for glory in wisdom, might, or riches, but in the privilege of knowing God. Uh, Jeremiah 9.23. God was, he was the supreme reality to, to believers of the Old Testament. He, even though at, at times they experienced difficulty in understanding uh, the discipline distribution of his providence. It, it was difficult sometimes. Occasionally God would uh, reveal himself by, by signs and wonders uh, in, order, in order to let those that didn't know him, that did not belong to the covenant people, uh, that they could be aware of his power. Exodus 7, 17 says, Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. This was a sign to Pharaoh and the people of Egypt of God's power. This was to let them know, have knowledge of God's power. You know, God's judgment on Israel, uh, th those were for the purpose of bringing the nation back to a realization uh, that he alone is God. When they started to get into idolatry and, and looking at other religions, this was a call for them to come back. To know the Lord, it goes beyond reaching out for him with the mind. The key to uh, the nation of Israel's renewal was its acknowledgement that the Lord is the nation's God and that there is no other. Joel 2.27 says, You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else and my people shall never again be put to shame. There needed to be an acknowledgement there. Knowing God, again, goes beyond reaching out for him with our mind. But it's directly related to reaching out to know him with our hearts. I think that's, that's something that we have to grab hold of. 
and we think about knowledge and understanding that knowing him, knowing anyone, is not about reaching out to know them with your mind, but it's about reaching out to know them with your heart. The New Testament, it doesn't, doesn't often allude to knowledge possessed by God. Uh, the, there is a strong foundation of that in the Old Testament that really kind of made that unnecessary. Jesus did affirm that, that God knows the state of the human heart. He knows everything. You can look at Hebrews 4.13. It says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So nothing, it's, it's too small or insignificant by our standards uh, as to escape God's notice uh, or his determining of events because he does determine events and how things go. Remembering that our Father knows what we need. He, he, he knows that we need things like food and clothing. But instead of making them priorities, he warned us to stop worrying. Again, he's, he's warning us to stop worrying and instead to seek his kingdom as a means of, of realizing his provision for us. He knows what our needs are. There's much more attention given in the New Testament to, to the knowledge possessed by the Son. That's where the real attention lies when we're looking at knowledge in the New Testament. Looking at Jesus, you know, as a boy, when he was just 12 years old, we know that he astonished those, those learned men who taught in the temple. In Luke 2.46, it says, after three days, they found him in the temple. So they were in Jerusalem for a festival. The, the crowd from Nazareth left together and were heading back. And they'd been traveling for three days and realized, uh-oh, where's Jesus at? And they went back and they found him in the temple. It says, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And we know that he continued to grow in wisdom because when you jump down uh, in Luke 2 to verse 52, it says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So even as a boy, his knowledge, his, his understanding, uh, uh, connection with God was, was really uh, baffling people. They didn't understand it. And looking at this increasing wisdom and stature and in, in favor with, with God and man, this was an indication of, of his true humanity. During his ministry, he was also able to discern the thoughts of those uh, who were questioning him and, and to sense any hypocrisy that, that was inside of them. In Luke eleven seventeen, it says, But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. So he knows, he was knowing their thoughts. In Luke 12, 15, it says, And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He could sense the hypocrisy there. They're saying one thing, but actually doing uh, and believing something else. There was a, a real penetrating insight that was, was evident during his public ministry and, and really was a point of frequent uh, emphasis, especially in the book of John. In John 2.25, it says, and, and he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. In 10, chapter 10, verse 14, it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. In uh, chapter 13, verse 11, it says, For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. And it goes on in other places uh, in, in the book of John, in 542, 13.1. 1828, 2117. There's a long list here where uh, Jesus knew what people were thinking, knew what was going on. 
he was able to also distinguish between true and, and false believers. John 6, 64 says, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. For me, that sounds kind of harsh. When I think about that, um, and really for me, that would be an extraordinary thing to have to deal with internally to know who would believe what I was saying and and who wouldn't, who would uh, betray me. That, that would be a harsh thing to have to deal with. In John 5, 6, it says, When Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? So in this uh, scripture, it's not made clear whether Jesus knew how long the man had endured this affliction that he was dealing with or whether he learned about it from others. Um, but when he did inquire, the reason was, was not ignorance. That wasn't why he was inquiring. Uh, but it was a desire to to really manifest interest and concern about human need, about the connection there, specifically about this man's need. So there was there was a, a reaching out with the heart, not with the mind. I'm not trying to understand the number here. I'm trying to connect. That's what the question was about. That's why he was wanting to know this. There's also specific mention. Uh, made of Christ's learning obedience uh, to the Father uh, by really by the things he suffered. Hebrews 5, 7 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. One item of information was, we do know, was withheld from, from Jesus. And that's the, the specific time he would return to earth. And you can read about that in Mark thirteen thirty two. But even in this case, Jesus carefully distinguished himself from others. This voluntary admission that he didn't know the time of his return uh, was really of great value, specifically for us in that. It gives us an assurance that his his many, many assertions about what he did know should be received with utmost seriousness. It gives more weight to what he says he did know about that relationship that he had with the Father, that oneness that they share, that he wants us to have with each other. He wants us to have with, with them as well, with, with the Trinity. It gives more weight to that. So during his ministry on earth, Jesus was, he was encouraged and sustained by his unique knowledge of the Father. We see this laid out in his prayer time continually. This did involve a, a clear perception of the Father's will for him, including his death, including that sacrificial death that he was to, to go through on the cross. So for those of us who desire a clear and satisfying knowledge of God, Jesus, the Son, is absolutely indispensable. God cannot, uh, excuse me, God can be known in a personal saving sense, but this is through knowing the Son. By knowing Jesus, we can know God. John 14, 7 says, if you, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, excuse me, from now on, you do know him and have seen him. God can be known in a personal and, and saving sense, but that's through knowing Jesus. You can know God through, through knowledge of Jesus also. John eight nineteen says, They said to him, Therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. 
and this isn't just like, oh, I see you, I know you, I know your name, I can point to where you came from, I can tell you who your dad is, who your mom is, your brothers and sisters, we see all them, great. Yeah, no. This is this points back to what I was saying earlier. Knowledge isn't just about what you know up here. It's about relationship. It's about that connection with the heart that you have. Christ alone possesses the knowledge of God. Turn to Matthew 11. We're going to start in verse 25. We're going to just read a couple of verses. But I want you to keep in mind, Christ alone possesses the knowledge of God. Matthew 11, starting in verse 25, it says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. We are those who God has chosen to reveal himself to. In this knowledge, it gives a new relation to God. Without it, mankind, us, we would still be in darkness. We would still be struggling in darkness. John 17, 3 says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's knowledge knowing the only true God in Jesus Christ, who he sent. Knowledge of God is closely related to faith, expressing the, the perception and understanding of faith. Full knowledge is, is possible only after we look at Jesus' glorification. In John in the book of John, knowledge is expressed in Christian witness, and that brings out belief in Jesus. It brings out uh, our belief in what he came for. Jesus' knowledge of the Father was direct. Uh, the, the disciples' knowledge of Jesus, our, our knowledge of Jesus is, is indirect because it's qualified for us by believing. We don't have, uh, um, I can't look at him sitting here right now. But I believe that he is. I believe that Holy Spirit indwells each of us who believe. We've made the declaration of belief. And so I know that that's, that's there. So it is an indirect knowledge. And that's qualified by belief. Our knowledge of Jesus, it's, it's the perception of Jesus as the revelation of God that, that leads to obedience to, to his word of love. Right? This, this, this knowledge is leading us to obedience, to what it is that God's calling us into. That relationship, that connection, that knowing of God should be evident in obedience. So if we're, we're asking where's the fruit at, this is one of those fruits that we're seeing with the spirit of knowledge. So we get to be caught up in, in God's mission of love to the world uh, in order that the world may come to know and, and believe in Jesus as the revelation of the Father and his love for the world. The Hebrew view of, of man is, is one of really a differentiated totality. Heart, soul, mind. They are uh, so interrelated they cannot be separated. 
So to know it involves the whole being and not just simply an action of the eye or we can see or of the mind in our thinking, in our human thinking. To know involves our whole being, every part of us. We know that the heart is sometimes identified as the organ of knowledge. Psalm 49.3 says, My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. This is why we're saying knowledge is about relationship. It's about that heart connection. The implication is that knowledge involves all of ourselves. We, we talk about mind, will, and emotions. Knowledge involves all of that. It can't be separated in any part. Christian knowledge of God, our knowledge of God, obviously, is, is not based simply on observation. It's not based simply on, on speculation, uh, but it's the result of experience in Christ. If there is no experience that we have with Jesus, there's not going to be any knowledge of God. This is another thing that, that we have access to. Well, I mentioned a, a little while ago that we can't sit and look and see Jesus sitting right here. We do have access to experience him through Holy Spirit that's indwelling us. Knowledge, it's really contrasted sharply with natural wisdom because that operates from an incorrect perspective. It, it, it operates from that perspective of head knowledge, not heart knowledge. Paul was quick to, to point out that the mystery of God's redemptive plan, it, it's been made known. It's been made known to us. So that leaves no room for ignorance. That, that leaves no room to, to not believe. So knowledge then is, is the whole person standing in relationship with God through Jesus. That's knowledge. It's the whole of yourself being in relationship every single day with God through Jesus. All of the revelation held within the ancestors of Jesus was fully revealed and made available to all of humanity through Jesus. Each of those in Jesus's family tree was given revelation, was, was being able to have something known about God that the, the one before him didn't. There was, there was building upon that. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about, when we talked about the spirit of understanding, we talked about the difference between revelation and understanding. And revelation being God revealing himself to us. So each of those in his family tree were given revelation. The spirit of knowledge, that endowment of the messianic descendant of Jesse that was talked about in Isaiah 11.1, 1, that was closely allied with, with wisdom and understanding. Again, though, knowledge is about relationship. In the Garden of Eden, God didn't tell Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because he was withholding from them. It wasn't what it was about. It wasn't about withholding. He did this because he didn't want them to have relationship with himself through any lesser knowledge of revelation of God, of any revelation of himself. He didn't want himself revealed through anything lesser. What they were to know should have been born out of that intimate relationship with him, that time where they walked with him in the cool of the day, and not through the partaking of knowledge from any other source. How often do we do this? I know I catch myself from time to time searching out knowledge apart from intimate relationship with God. And how often do we do that? And 
You don't have to tell anybody, but be honest with yourself. So what are we doing with the knowledge once it's gained? Once we, we start to build upon that relationship and start to know God, what are we doing with that knowledge? Are we using it to puff up our egos? To make us look better? Or is it taken into oneness and used to build up others? Bringing knowledge into oneness, it's not about delivering a message to someone that you think needs to hear it. It's not what it's about. That's accountability and or correction, not sharing knowledge. Sharing knowledge, it's about relaying to others what you experience. It's about sharing and relaying to others what has been revealed to you in that time of relationship. Again and again, we're bringing this back to oneness. We have to, because we're not doing life as individuals. It's just not how we were created. Rather, we're created to share life in oneness or in union, whatever word it is you want to use. Everything we've discussed today, it should give you a different understanding of the spirit of knowledge. You should be able to walk away with, with a, a new perspective. You should have caught on that knowledge isn't about what you can stuff into your brain. It's not what it's about. It's not about what you can retain from that cramming and can then, you know, regurgitate to somehow impress people. It doesn't really impress. I, I always say, if you want to impress me, gargle peanut butter. That's, that would be impressive. It's about your intimate relationship with Jesus. It is about knowledge of him. That's what we're talking about with the spirit of knowledge. Knowing or knowledge is about God. And I really can't say it any more clearly or succinctly than that. It's about God. So where are you lacking in knowledge? This week, as you go about your day, connect with God in order to know him. Make a point to have knowledge about our Father. Really, be intentional in this time while you sit. Don't have any other motivation than to grow in the spirit of knowledge. If you're already spending time connecting uh, through studying Scripture, through uh, prayer, um, Take some additional time to grow in the spirit of knowledge outside of those things. Spend a praise break or two growing in the spirit of knowledge. It's different from those other um, spiritual disciplines because it, growing in, in knowledge and what we're talking about here is not a spiritual discipline. This is relationship. It's deep, intimate relationship with the Father. So take some time to, to grow in that. Tell Stan. <coughs> Father, we're so thankful for, for the spirit of knowledge. We're so thankful to be able to connect with you, to know you. Give us an understanding of, of that purpose. Let us seek out deep, intimate relationship with you so that we can grow in knowledge. It's such a privilege and honor to be able to do so, to be able to come to you with reverence and awe. have access to connect with you. Let us seize opportunity to, to share that connection with one another. 
let us heed the call of the demand to know you or not. Thank you, Father, for all that you're doing. Thank you for, for what it is that you're bringing with each person here. Let it be cemented in us. That knowledge isn't about cramming things into our brains, but about reaching out with our hearts to know one another and to know you. In Jesus' name. <coughs> Amen.